This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, November 8th. I'm Virginia Allen. Parents should have the right to know what their children are being taught in school and have their voices heard when they have concerns. That's why Louisiana Congresswoman Julia Letlow introduced the Parents' Bill of Rights. The bill passed in the House back in March, but is still waiting to be taken up by the Senate. Today, I am so pleased that we are joined by Representative Letlow to talk about the bill, what exactly is in it, and why she, as a mom, is so passionate about making sure that the voices of parents are heard within the education space. Stay tuned for our conversation right after this. We get it. With big media bias, it's hard to find accurate, honest news. That's why we've put together the Morning Bell Newsletter, a compilation of the top stories and conservative commentary. To subscribe, just head to dailysignal.com slash subscription, or visit dailysignal.com and click on the connect button at the top of the page. It is my privilege today that we have with us in studio Congresswoman Julia Letlow of Louisiana. Congresswoman, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Virginia. It's an honor to be with you. Well, I'm really excited for this conversation. We're going to talk about everything education. Yeah, great. This is such an important issue to so many people right now, especially to parents. You have been such an advocate for education issues since you entered Congress. Why is this such a passion personally for you? Sure. Well, my background is in education, specifically higher education. And I firmly believe that education is the answer to so many of our woes. Uh, It's the answer answer to lifting a region out of poverty. I have some of the highest poverty rates in my district. I serve 24 Mm. parishes in Louisiana. We call them parishes instead of counties. Uh, But I firmly believe that if you educate a child, you give them a future. So I believe in education at every level, Virginia. I believe in it early childhood, our K through 12 programs, our underutilized trade schools and community colleges, and also our four-year institutions if someone so desires. So uh, you'll find me championing education at every level, uh, but I'd love to talk to you more about the impetus for the Parents' Bill of Rights uh, this last year and uh, what really led to that legislation. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the Parents' Bill of Rights. And I know there's five pillars that are just really um, the make up the foundation for that for that Bill of Rights. So explain what the Parents' Bill of Rights is and why you felt compelled that we actually need a Parents' Bill of Rights in America. That's right. Well, we were sitting around at a listening session uh, that the speaker had called uh, with parents all across the country who, for the first time, because one of the silver linings of COVID is that for the first time, parents were sitting down with their children and working on their curriculum together. Mm. And many were seeing their curriculum for the first time across this country. And a lot of parents were appalled by Mm. what their children were being taught. So they did the right thing. They went to their school boards to voice their displeasure. And across the country, and especially in Virginia, we saw this, Mm -hmm. um, that they were turned away. And then it it heightened so much so that they were even labeled domestic terrorists uh, by their own government. And so uh, that's when we stepped in and said, something has to change. It's actually appalling to me, Virginia, that we have to have a Parents' Bill of Rights. But in today's age, it's absolutely necessary because parents always deserve a seat at the table when it comes to their child's education. And so 
as a former educator myself, I know that when parents are involved, students succeed. And I would guarantee that many of my friends who are educators as well want even more parental involvement. Mm -hmm. And so for parents to be denied or turned away when they ask to view their child's curriculum is absolutely abhorrent. It should not happen. And so we decided on the Parents' Bill of Rights. Now, we have a Parents' Bill of Rights already in place by our state legislature in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And so this was something that I was able to draw from, from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And it's really common sense legislation. First and foremost, if you would like to view your child's curriculum at any time, it should be made public to you. You shouldn't have to go do a public records request to (laughs) to even view your child's curriculum. Uh, Secondly, if you find anything that you have an issue with, you should be able to lawfully go to your school board and voice your concerns Mm -hmm. and not be labeled a domestic terrorist. Uh, You should be able to do that as a parent. That's a right Uh, without fear of retribution. And then It goes into if there's any violent activity Mm -hmm. on your child's campus that you should be notified. I mean, we saw that awful case in Virginia, Mm -hmm. um, and that absolutely should not happen on another campus. If your child um, is involved in any violent activity, if there's any violent activity on the school uh, premises, you should be notified. That's your right as a parent. Um, And so it's just about transparency. It's about open communication. It's about parents being able to view the books that are on library shelves. Um, I mean, we've seen some of the awful books that your child could go into the library and see at any time. And then finally, if there's any data that's being sold Mm -hmm. about your child. It absolutely should not be happening. Um, That should not happen on any campus. No child's data should ever be sold, um, especially in our public institutions. So uh, that was really just the pillars of the bill. Uh, It's received resounding support. Uh, I think someone was telling me about a poll that recently was done where 75% of parents agree with the Parents' Bill of Rights. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, or Independent. Parents feel strongly about this uh, on both sides of the aisle. So we think it's a it's a winner. Um, I'm hopeful the Senate will pick it up and do the right thing. Yeah. And I, I your colleagues in the House obviously agree with you that this is common sense right. measures because in March the bill did pass. Right. But where do things stand on yeah. the Senate? It's yeah. been several months since March. Sure. And has the Senate taken any action or indicated that they would take this up? Yeah. So I know there's been some interest from uh, my Senate colleagues on the on the other side, but um, I'm hopeful that one of them will, will come forward and take it up. Again, it is a very popular opinion across the country. Uh, it's a winning message. Uh, it's a win for parents. So um, I'm hopeful. I'm an optimistic person. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that... that uh, Whichever senator gets behind it, that we can form a winning partnership and, and bring it forward. Yeah, I yeah. love your optimism. Thank you. It's needed. <laughs> Thank you. It's needed in Washington D.C. to be optimistic. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I want to get your thoughts on another issue related sure. to education that we talk a lot about here in Washington mm-hmm. D.C. and that I think increasingly Americans are thinking about, and that is: Do we really need a Department of Education, mm. or is there a restructuring, some sort of dismantling that is yeah. needed of the yeah. Department of Education? Sure. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I know we talk a lot about this um, on my committee that I work for, Education and Workforce. Uh, Dr. Virginia Fox is my chair, 
chairwoman. Oh. Uh, she is a force. Uh, she is an incredible chairwoman. And so we are constantly looking for ways to scale back some of that authority that mm. the Department of Education has and some of their terrible policies, their woke policies um, that are doing more harm to our children than good. Uh, so, you know, I am I am open to those conversations. I'm open to finding ways that we can be uh, better stewards of our tax dollars that are going back um, to our school districts. So uh, I am confident that Dr. Fox is going to lead the charge in whichever direction we decide to go um, in our conference as a Republican uh, party. But uh, again, she is a force to be <laughs> reckoned with. And uh, please, America, have no doubt that she will be reining in uh, the Department of Education and making sure that they, again, are doing what's right for our children mm. and our parents. Mm. Yeah, It's really critical. And it's encouraging yeah. to hear that there's people yeah. who are thinking about this really critically. Absolutely. And uh, what the right next steps are exactly now we are we're at a point uh where student loan repayments Mm -hmm. are returning and i've had just within the past week i've had two different conversations with friends who are my age who have student loans and they have both praised biden for trying president biden for trying to forgive Mm -hmm. student loans and i sort of said well let's talk about this a little bit more um but what would you say to young people who are looking at student loans resuming uh, they're looking at that price tag. Mm-hmm. They feel overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, as we think about how to move forward mm-hmm. on an issue that is so important to young people, but we also need to think about the whole picture, sure. economic impacts. Mm-hmm. What what would you say to some of your young voters who, sure. who are worried about this? Sure. Well, I would say... Um, A lot of this stems back to when you first get to your university or college of choice. And I'm a huge proponent, Virginia, of transparency Mm -hmm. on our college campuses. Uh, Again, I worked in administration on a college campus. And so um, I know firsthand that there's not a lot of conversation on the front end Mm -hmm. with our students saying, hey, if you take out this loan, (laughs) when you graduate and you graduate in... XYZ major, this is going to be probably your take home, your first couple of years. This is when your loan repayment is going to kick in. This is what a mortgage is. Mm -hmm. Um, These are what your bills are going to be. And I think that if we were more transparent on the front end with our students and, and talking about uh, financial responsibility and literacy and making sure that they understand, uh, I think you wouldn't have on this back end mm-hmm. um, young people saying, I just can't make it all work. I can't afford it. I could use some relief. Because really what's happening with that debt is we're transferring it onto yeah. other taxpayers. And that's not fair. That's not right, in my opinion, and many other opinions, <laughs> that um, if you decided not to go to college, you shouldn't have to pay for someone else's degree. Mm-hmm. And so I get my dad was a financial advisor and he Mm -hmm. taught me um, you need to really analyze before you take out a loan, Mm -hmm. uh, before you have any debt. You need to make sure that you can pay it back. Uh, I think we need to teach our young people that about how important it is to be financially responsible and know what you're getting into. I saw firsthand some atrocious things where uh, money was just flowing to students' accounts. Mm. Uh, you know, they they didn't really recognize or um, respect that they were going to have to pay back those dollars. And um, so then they'd come in with a brand new truck or come in, you know, and it's oh, just wow. infuriating yeah. um, that we're doing a disservice to our students, uh, but also to those people who did not elect to go to college should not be burdened mm-hmm. with paying for someone else's decision to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I'm not a fan of the president's uh, views on this. I will say that loud and clear. It's a transfer of debt. That is not fair. It is not right. If you take out a loan, you should be expected to pay it back. Mm-hmm. Well, and ultimately, um, Biden's student loan forgiveness was ruled as right. not legal, not lawful. Sorry. Um, but we've seen that recently President Biden has introduced a new form of income-driven mm-hmm. repayment for mm-hmm. student loans. Can you explain what exactly the president has done and and what your thoughts are on it? Yeah, I need to go just take a a stronger look at all of that to see. uh, I'm sure that there that I'm probably not going to be a fan of what he's (laughs) proposing, uh, just because, again, if it's taking any of the onus off of the um, the person who took out the loan and placing it, transferring it Mm -hmm. onto other people, then it's absolutely not right. And it's my understanding that that does a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I need to go spend some more time and just really digest exactly what he's proposing. Yeah. 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 No, I really appreciate your transparency with that. Yeah. You know, there's there's constantly so much movement in that regard. Right. The details of, you know, you say the devil's in the details. You've got to look at the details. You've got to sit down with it. And I promise you this. I, again, have no doubt that Dr. Fox is doing just that as well. (laughs) And uh, one other thing about that, Mm. I'm so excited that we are going to have the opportunity to reauthorize the Higher Education Act, Mm. uh, this, hopefully this Congress. Mm -hmm. And um, so I know that that is one of the top concerns that will be addressed. We're floating around ideas right now about how to address that and make sure that these terrible policies that the president's putting forward do not come to fruition or light. For Uh, those who aren't familiar with with the Higher Education Act. Just give us a a quick 30-second. Yeah, absolutely. So the Higher Education Act actually affects policy for higher education across the entire country. So Mm -hmm. it will address things just like this about Mm -hmm. student loan forgiveness. It talks about FAFSA. It talks about um, Pell Grants. It talks about all of those um, issues that relate to higher education. So um, if I may, can I tell you one quick story about Dr. Fox? Okay, so um, I had just uh, come to Congress and... Uh, I was under wild circumstances, and I was ha- I was struggling with uh, what some would say a lot of women struggle with, but I'm sure men do as well. But I was having a rough day where I was having the imposter syndrome, and mm. I just thought, you know, all of these these people come from lawyers, doctors. I mean, they have these amazing backgrounds that mm. they come to Congress with many years in government. And I said, I just I'm coming from education. You know, what am I doing here? I'm yeah. not qualified to be here. And I could tell that Dr. Fox knew I was struggling with this. Mm-hmm. So she just had this must be a God thing, yeah. you know. And um, she sat down in front of me that day and she said, Julia, don't ever doubt the reason why the Lord put you here. Mm-hmm. She said, mm-hmm. your voice is so needed and I'm going to tell you why. She said, next Congress, we have the opportunity to reauthorize the Higher Education Act. Wow. And do you know how many people on our side of the aisle have any background in higher education. Wow. She was like, very few. She would say, I would argue you and me and maybe one other person on the committee. So uh, your voice is needed here. And that's when it clicked. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you're so right. This is the people's house. Yeah. This is why we need people from all, all backgrounds, backgrounds of life, because your voice is needed here. This is why we need doctors. We need lawyers. We need entrepreneurs, small business owners. We need stay-at-home moms yeah. to be here. We need single moms to be here. We need people from all walks of life, educators, to let your voice be heard and and share your level of expertise when it's called upon. So mm, it was just a God moment. It really that was. Is. And from that moment on, I've not questioned um God's reasoning for having me here and um, 
Dr. Fox's reasoning mm. for having me here. So. Wow. Those are powerful moments. We have sure. to hold on to those they moments do. in our they lives. Do. Yeah, yes. cherish them. So, so critical. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, I do want to take a moment just to ask for your thoughts on November 17th. That yeah. is the deadline for Congress to pass budgets, right. to decide how much are we spending in the next right. fiscal year. Where do things stand right now? Yeah. And are you optimistic that Congress will be able to avert a government shutdown? Sure. Well, conference is happening right now, and I've chosen to be with you, Virginia. So <laughs> Thank you for being here. <laughs> so, um, but I am confident that leadership is putting together a proposal that most of my colleagues can get behind, if not all. I'm hopeful that we will be able to do that. They're floating around different ideas. I think it's within all of our hearts to not have a government shutdown. Uh, we know that that affects livelihoods, that affects our economy. It's not good for anyone to do that. So um, I am so confident in Speaker Mike Johnson. He's a, a friend of mine, a colleague, and now my speaker. Uh, we actually, he has a neighboring district to mine. Oh, so wow. we we formed a nice, uh, long relationship. He knew my late husband, but um, also his wife, Kelly's amazing. I di digress. Uh, so he has proposed a couple different options to keep the government running. One would be a continuing resolution, maybe a continuing resolution um, that deals with some of our domestic issues at home. Um, so I'm hopeful that uh, we will take care of this before next the close of next week. And um, I'm also on the Appropriations Committee, which is amazing uh, group of, of men and women. But uh, we have done an incredible job of working on all 12 appropriations bills. This is only my second term, and I've never been under leadership that lets us bring all 12 bills separately, mm -hmm. regular order. Mm -hmm. That has been a phenomenal experience, and we're so close to yeah. getting all of that done and pushed through. Wow. And that's the way it should work, yeah. you know? And then those bills go to the Senate, then they come back to conference. So yeah. that should all be taken care of. Um, will be taken care of. Maybe we need a couple more weeks to get to get us to buy us a little bit of time to yeah. get that process through. But you have to recognize that process has not. I don't know when the last time they had regular order. It's been a long time. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. So, um, so we're getting our, our legs underneath us again, you know. <laughs> and um, all of us that are new to the committee are learning the process. So, um, I'm hopeful. I'm again an optimist, but I'm hopeful that if anybody can do this, anybody can. Get us across the finish line. Mm -hmm. It's Speaker Mike Johnson mm -hmm. and Leader Steve Scalise, mm -hmm. both from Louisiana. Just that <laughs> <laughs> little plug for your right, state. Right. I love it. <laughs> uh, Congresswoman, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for your optimism. I love it. Absolutely. Great to be with you, Virginia. And with that, that is going to do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Daily Signal podcast. Make sure that you check out our evening show as well. It's right here in this same podcast feed where every weekday we bring you the top news of the day. Also, make sure to subscribe to The Daily Signal wherever you like to listen to podcasts and take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review. Have a great Wednesday. We'll see you right back here this evening for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.